Welcome to CryoTalk, a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by Thermo Fisher Scientific. Featuring conversations between your host, Ava Amson, and experts in the field of cryo-electron microscopy. Today on CryoTalk, we're joined by Liz Kellogg, Assistant Professor in Molecular Biology and Genetics at Cornell University. We're talking about her research. We are really interested not just in understanding the mechanism of these CRISPR-associated transposons, but in um, adapting them as genome engineering tools. Her advice for early career researchers? You are the best judge of what is best for you. So have confidence in yourself. And what kind of music she listens to? I listen to a lot of like 2000s pop because that was my time, you know. All in this episode of CryoTalk. Hi, and welcome to CryoTalk. I'm Ava Amson, and I'm here today with Liz Kellogg, Assistant Professor in the Department of Molecular Biology and Genetics at Cornell University. Her research group uses CryoEM to study molecular mechanisms related to DNA recombination and protein engineering. So, Liz, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Now, we, we always ask our guests um, to share a little bit of their research backstory. And I think you have a connection to one of our previous podcast guests. Podcast yeah. Guests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, tell um, me a bit? Yeah, right. So I started my PhD. Um, I, I did my PhD with David Baker at the University of Washington. And there I worked on uh, protein structure prediction techniques. So I did a, um, a purely theoretical PhD. And then um, I moved to Berkeley where I did a postdoc with Evan Nogales, who was your previous <laughs> guest and one of my favorite people. Um, <laughs> there I studied uh, microtubule structure using cryo-EM and that was around 2012 or 2013. That's about the time when the direct detectors came online. So I was very fortunate in the sense that I never had to collect data on CCDs or film. I went straight to the direct detectors. And um, of course, we were astounded by everything that we could see at that time. We made a number of different discoveries regarding microtubule structure, as well as the, um, the proteins that bind microtubules and um, affect their function, things like tau. So tau is a protein important in uh, Alzheimer's, that is a factor in Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, actually to cap off my postdoctoral studies, I did start moving into studying recombinases and that has really led, set me on the path for my research group here at Cornell. Yeah, because you're now, you're, you're looking at mechanisms that could be useful for genome engineering. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, so we're actually very interested in um, things called transposons. Transposons are mobile genetic elements. They're selfish genes that, um, essentially replicate their own DNA. And mm -hmm. so we were very interested in their ability to cut and paste DNA without introducing these, um, while bypassing double strand breaks. They essentially affect this, this process. They do this autonomously. Um, but the class of transposon we're extremely interested in now is called CRISPR-associated transposons. And that means that these transposons naturally associate with a CRISPR effector these effectors do not cleave DNA. They actually bind um, the RNA and in the target DNA, and they recruit the transposition machinery to that site for insertion of their genomic payload. And so a lot of people are very interested in using these 
um, systems as tools for programmable DNA insertion. Um, it's very exciting, and we're continually astounded by what we learn. Um, these transposons end up being very complicated, mechanistically speaking, and so um, a big push in my lab is to uncover the molecular mechanisms utilized by these CRISPR-associated transposons using cryoEM. Yeah, so that, that, that actually leads me right into my next question. That's how are you using cryoEM for that? <laughs> yeah, um, so cryoEM is great as a... Um, a tool, as you well know, speaking to our previous guests, because you don't need to crystallize your, uh, your, your target of interest. So we can actually reconstitute large ensembles of proteins onto DNA substrates. Now that the, you know, the challenge is to figure out what DNA substrate to use in order to stabilize the full assembly. But um, we have found that cryoEM is incredibly useful in terms of unraveling these mechanisms because we can visualize different states. Mm -hmm. One of our previous papers um, that was published in Science in 2021 really was digging into the structure function relationship of a AAA plus regulator that was involved in um, the programmable DNA insertion cycle of this transposon. And so we characterize this protein in a number of different states and with its other trans position related factors in order to try to understand how this process was occurring. And that was not, that's not possible using any other technique. Really. Mm. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's one of those techniques that it's, it's a, it makes you be able to look at things that you can't do in any other way, which is kind of what we've heard in, in every episode so far. Yeah, um, we love it. <laughs> so if you if you could look into the future of cryoEM um what do you think where do you think it will be in like 5 to 10 years maybe thinking about the kind of applications that people are using it for Yeah I think that's a really good question I loved the previous episode with Eva Nagalis mm -hmm. I thought her answer was really great um the her answer was complexity and I would say yes it that's absolutely the right answer. But also um, one thing that really excites me about cryoEM is its ability, like I said, to characterize protein structures that are not in the crystal state. So mm -hmm. they're essentially doing whatever it is they do in solution, you're flash freezing that, and then you're able to see that in an electron microscope. And I think, you know, that was something that we had dreamed of modeling back when I was in the Baker lab. That's very challenging. And um, I, I think like the future of CrowEM is in visualizing not just one stable ground structure, but you know the transient states and the dynamics that are contained within that thermodynamic ensemble. And so that's what really excites me about CrowEM and for the future. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done before we get there, but that's what makes this so exciting. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you started your lab in 2019, so it was not that long ago. How have those first few years been for you? And, and what are you looking forward to doing in the next few years? Yeah, I'm, that's a really great question as well. So we, so starting in 2019, I, of course, was affected by the pandemic, like yeah. every other <laughs> new assistant professor. Um, that's been exceedingly challenging. And mm. I think... You know, in 2020, when things shut down, it was hard because, mm -hmm. you know, you, we had to keep our labs, our growing labs together. You had to maintain some sort of cohesiveness mm -hmm. when everybody was alone. 
at home by themselves, I think that was very challenging. But right now is still challenging as well for growing labs because of supply chain issues. Mm -hmm. um, there is turmoil in the job markets. And so I think like, you know, that's something that's kind of that that I reflect on a lot of me and my my peers is how um, how do we help one another launch our labs mm -hmm. while maintaining a, a great lab culture and doing cutting edge science? We talk about that a lot. And um, furthermore, I would urge anyone who's listening um, in the more senior positions, it's like these the pandemic is going to echo throughout the years, you know, it's not just this one year that, you know, we all got tenure clock extensions for, this is going to continue on impacting all of the young assistant professors. And so I would really urge um, more senior or more senior colleagues to keep that in mind when mm. people come up for evaluation. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something to think about. And yeah. I guess also, yeah, working from home is not possible if you work in a lab so it's uh you'll, you'll yeah. have to you're, you're competing with them like phd students deciding whether they want to be in a lab or do something else they they see their friends going into places that get where they get to work from home and they might have to not yeah. do that I mean, yeah, also, you know, I mean, I don't have small children, but a lot of my colleagues with small this is also the time when people start mm. families and I think that that was like I don't have children, but I can't even imagine. You know that must be that must have been so difficult. So mm, you yeah. know that's even without the added additional challenges of having small children. So <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. What 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 are you what are your plans for the next few years? Assuming oh, yeah. no further pandemics. <laughs> Gosh, I would love it if we if we could have like you know returned <laughs> back to the way things were, but I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon. Um. So we are really interested not just in understanding the mechanism of these CRISPR-associated transposons, but in um, adapting them as genome engineering tools. So I would really like to, in the next in the in the next coming years, to combine my training that I got from the Baker Lab in protein design, uh, protein modeling and design, as well as um, my training in CryoEM. So I would really like to meld those two. Um, we are really very quickly gaining a uh, very uh, very good mechanistic understanding of how these elements work and once we you know establish that foundation i think then it turned the question becomes how do we adapt these tools for mm -hmm. practical purposes so we're we're very interested in in um going in that direction that sounds there's exciting. so many things i would love to do actually yeah. you know, it's just not not enough time to like talk about all of them but there's so many things and that that's one of them but um yeah <laughs> I'll just stop there. <laughs> and and what about when you're not working? Do you have any hobbies? So I used to have, um, I used to do ballet very seriously, um, but it's been challenging to fit classes in mm -hmm. um, while I'm trying to launch a lab. I also started horseback riding. That's one of the nice mm -hmm. things about Ithaca is that, you know, you get access to all sorts of um kind of country activities that you may not have access to otherwise <laughs> and I also I also run now so in order to kind of keep my <laughs> to keep in shape because mental health is just as important as physical health so I try to combine hobbies with exercise yeah that's that's a good plan <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um 
yeah, and you mentioned the countryside already, but that's um, I think we're going into our, our round of quick fire questions. And that's actually my first question on the list is, do you prefer the city or the countryside? I think they both have their merits. I mm -hmm. like both. Um, I think that I'm the kind of person that when I'm in the countryside, I, I like to be in the city. And when I'm in the city, I like to be in the country. So <laughs> it's hard to say. I would say both are, are good and bad in their own ways. <laughs> And do you like to cook? I love cooking. I love it. <laughs> and I love to improvise. I love to just kind of go into my pantry and take out whatever I have and then make a delicious meal. <laughs> any any favorite recipes you want to share? <laughs> my go-to is um, salsa verde chilaquiles. I usually make that mm. on um, Saturdays, Saturday mornings. <laughs> and um, do you like reading? Do you have any book recommendations? I, the last, well, I, I loved reading. I don't read as much as, um, I read a lot of papers. I don't read a lot of books, although I, I really would love to get back into it. The last book I read was Bad Blood. And this was the um, book by John Carreyrou about the Theranos story. That's the last mm. novel I read. Sounds interesting. I also kind of want to see the, the show about that. <laughs> Fascinating. Do it. <laughs> um. Speaking of shows, um, are there any films or TV shows that you watched in the last year or two that you would recommend? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good question. And actually nothing really pops into my <laughs> mind at the moment. Um, there's a movie that I've been wanting to see, which is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh, yeah. I've been meaning to see that. I also still need to see it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe um, by the time this airs, we'll have both seen it. But <laughs> I hope so. It like a really good one. Yeah. And do you listen to music? All the time. Yeah. Like, what do you listen to? Um, I love pop music. So I listen to a lot of, like, 2000s pop because that was my time, you know? Mm -hmm. A lot of Katy Perry. Um, and let's see. Uh, Nicki Minaj. Stuff like that. <laughs> so do you listen to music while working or just while you're running or <laughs> all the time all the time all the time <laughs> I, I listen to music and I listen to podcasts mm. and I listen to the cryo talk podcast as well of course yeah. <laughs> and if you were not a scientist what would you be <laughs> yeah that's an interesting question because I actually with my colleagues we sometimes think about this but um I think I would be a writer because I, I love, I actually love writing. Um, so I think, I don't know if I would, seems like a big change, you know, writing mm. scientific <laughs> manuscripts to novels, but I have a couple ideas. Hmm. Well, you can do both as we, we've learned from, um, from our first podcast guest, yeah. Joachim Frank. So he's, yeah, he's managed to do both. So it's wow. possible. <laughs> But he's so incredible. <laughs> later, after I win the Nobel Prize, <laughs> you got to do that first, and then yeah. <laughs> um, and something else that you mentioned earlier is um, you also have a podcast. Do you maybe want to tell people about that? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Um. So. The podcast that I developed along with uh, Mike Chinfroco and Mimi Ho is called The Plunge. And um, we actually interviewed 
uh, six different members of the Crowium community. And um, we asked them things that, you know, we had al always wondered things like, you know, your most significant discovery, how did you feel about that? Um, what is the future of CryoEM, as well as, you know, more practical things that we wonder about for ourselves, like how do you create a thriving lab culture? How do you mentor the next generation of students effectively? Um, things like that. So I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, I hope that it's people enjoy listening to it and watching it. So, but mm -hmm. we'll see. Yeah. And now you get to be a guest here. So <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've got one more question for you. And um, do you have any advice for researchers who are just starting out their career? Yeah. Um, I also think about this a lot too. I mean, having advised students, I think a lot about how best to guide them. Um, mm. I kind of struggle with this because I feel like everybody's trajectory is so unique. Hmm. And what works well for me, someone like me, may not work very well for someone else. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess personally, what I found is that in my career, I would ask many people, all my mentors and um, more senior colleagues for advice. And you get all sorts of different advice about what's best to do. And I think what I realized is that everybody's giving advice based on their own experiences um, about the challenges that they encountered at the time that they were trainees or at the, they were at that particular stage. So what I always tell trainees is that it's good to seek advice and you should, um, but keep in mind that, you know, you are the best judge mm -hmm. of what is best for you. So have confidence in yourself. Um, and ultimately you're the one who gets to decide you know so you know you can you can get advice but i think that you know have confidence in your own sense of direction about where to go next yeah yeah that makes sense because everyone is different and i mean you're the one that knows best about what you like what you enjoy and where you, you know where you should go next mm. what you should do next things like that right so yeah yeah <laughs> It's I always personally find it hard when when people like ask me for advice because what do you, do you want me to tell you what I did because I that's the only experience I have but yeah exactly. <laughs> I have a very very limited you know yeah <laughs> I've done one thing <laughs> that brings us to the end of today's episode thanks everyone for listening to or watching Cryo Talk thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to CryoTalk, a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by Thermo Fisher Scientific. To view all audio and video recordings from this series, please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash cryotalk.